Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Farley Schweigert, and today I want to talk with Jennifer Davia on pelvic health education and the physical therapist assistant. She just presented at CSM in San Diego uh, in 2023. And so I wanted to catch her on the heels of that and talk all things pelvic health and PTA. So I think it's going to be a great conversation today. And Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Farley. Um, so I am a PTA program director in Colorado, and that kind of makes me uniquely situated so that I can speak to this. I'm also an instructor for the Academy of Public Health Physical Therapy, and I'm a former director of education for that entity. And I have a doctorate in physical therapy. Um, I'm currently a student again at the University of Indianapolis for a doctor of health science that I'll finish in 2025. But I have a certificate of achievement in pelvic health physical therapy, as well as a certificate of achievement in obstetric physical therapy. And then I also have a board certification in women's health physical therapy, which incorporates all of this, as well as additional diagnoses that are unique to uh, females. So thank you for having, having me today. Yes, thank you. Yes, that does make you uniquely qualified to have this conversation. So I'm very excited to, to have that. And here, when we have another conversation in a few years, we can call you Dr. Doctor. I'm real sorry, Jennifer. I cannot get through a conversation without having a very poor dad joke. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I welcome those. Those are good. Uh, my dad is an ag teacher, so I, I come by honestly because ag teachers tend to have really bad jokes as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So let's talk. <clears throat> let's talk about pelvic health education and specifically through the physical therapist assistant education program. And I know then we want to talk a little bit about PTAs, furthering mm -hmm. their education, post-graduation, post-licensure in that field. I have, uh, my first job was at a women's health orthopedic clinic. I, I did the orthopedic side. So I saw a lot of the women, the OB patients, mm -hmm. a lot of SI work. I did a mm -hmm. lot of, so I've always, and through, through my experience with horses and riding, I've, I'm always, I'm always hanging out the pelvis. And Absolutely. Very much core oriented. Yes, it's this kind of the foundation of what we do. So that's yeah. 
that was my first exposure to everything. And then and as I went on through my career, um, having friends that are very passionate about it, becoming an advocate for it. And I do use a lot of that in my orthopedic practice with core work, uh, whether it's low back pain or even just for competition, getting better, different things like that. So in that first practice that I was at, the PT who treated women's health, there were two PTs and two PTAs that specifically treated women's health. And so coming in as a new grad, I was like, well, that makes sense. Everything I know about the PT-PTA relationship, they've been trained, they've been going through continuing ed too. It just seemed natural to me that that was the progression of treatment in this realm of physical therapy. And I know now that that's still not the case (laughs) in those places. And and I know that's where you come in and where you're kind of going with some things. So so let's first start at the educational level when PPAs are in school, and then we'll move on through post-graduation and post-licensure. I'll just give you a little blurb about PTA education. And it is um, an associate's degree. It's been that way for 50 years, and I don't think it'll change, even though the amount of content in the programs are at the bachelor level. They are difficult programs. We have been limited by our accrediting board, the Commission on Accreditation and Physical Therapy Education, to the maximum length for those programs, which is about five semesters. Um, there's a, had been a maximum length for weeks. Um, which was 80 academic weeks or 104 calendar weeks total content. But those maximum levels have actually are being proposed to be lifted starting in 2024. There's a lot of education that goes into a PTA program, including 13 to 18 clinical education weeks. So um, they're well-trained. They have education in basic sciences including biological sciences, physical science, behavioral science, social sciences. And then they have system-specific education for every system in the body, which is important because we all know that there are systems that interact with each other, including the musculoskeletal system, that either mimic musculoskeletal pain or impact pain overall. They have a fairly well-rounded education. And I think we underutilize PTAs in physical therapy Part of that is because of the payment differential that has been proposed and kind of this undervaluing of PTAs. But I'm starting out this conversation kind of emphasizing the qualifications and and that they are uniquely qualified and recognized by APTA as being really the only person that should be in the clinic other than the physical therapist. As far as public health education in PTA, there are no real standards across the nation. Unlike uh, DPT education, there is a guidebook for helping to um, give a framework for incorporating public health education and DPT programs. That is on my list of things to do for PTA education is to incorporate that information into a framework that's modeled after that. That is put out by the Academy of Public Health Physical Therapy through the APTA. Again, that's on my list of things to do. But in our program, because of my presence, I focus on um, incorporating that concept of pelvic health as being part of the core for stabilization in their therapeutic exercise classes. So we don't go in depth in those early semesters in the program, but we certainly talk a lot about it in their final semester of class. I do a four-hour presentation that is, you know, it's a mix of lecture and lab, but we go over what it means to be a pelvic floor 
uh, specialist. Also, what does pelvic health incorporate? We talk about obstetric care as well and how we need to modify treatments based on their condition and also work on understanding the role of the pelvic floor in core stabilization, particularly SI joint dysfunction in females and understanding the menstrual cycle and how it affects stability during menses for, for females. So looking at that hormonal component and that stability or instability issue and talking about pelvic floor activation, being able to palpate it externally. We don't do any internal work in the PTA program, but there is discussion about what it means to do internal work, but also educating those students on how to palpate externally appropriately and with consent and being very careful, but being able to palpate for dysfunction so that then they can uh, either raise that concern to the PT um, so that they can address it, or if they have gone on and had some specialty treating after graduation, then they can start treating themselves um, with the PT also having completed a, a physical therapy evaluation, focusing on pelvic health. We'll get more into those details in a minute, but that's how I incorporate pelvic health into our program. Yes. And, and I'm sitting here listening to you and the clapping emojis going on. Thank you for all that you've said, even, even starting with just a description of the PTA education, uh, because being an educator in a PTA ed program, until I got here, I had, I had no idea how hard it was to be right? honest. And then, and I tell people that a lot too, because it's really the time frame, right? Right. Because yeah. Sheer amount of information that happens in the time frame prescribed is really a lot of what raises a difficulty. Um, yeah the PTA education programs. And, and it's always great to hear of programs where they're taking, we, we do a lot here in pediatrics because of right. what our communities need. So you listening to you and what you're doing with pelvic health, I do a lot slower uh, education level, but still hitting those same points of Excellent. what it means to do these things, what you can do after school, what, what you need to know now and even above what you need to know now to be a better practitioner yep. at the core and yeah. this pelvic stabilization. So I'm, <laughs> I'm already like, oh, let's, let's, let's talk more. Let's, let's yeah. talk more because I'm digging this. So uh, that's kind of an overview of what you're doing with your education program and how you incorporate that and how that fits into the grand scheme of things of, of the framework that we get to work in at this point in time. Let's talk more about PTA if you're taking that interest post-licensure mm -hmm. and, and where that education is, where it's mm -hmm. going, where you hope for it to go and things like that. You know, I won't go into all the nuances of delegation and supervision unless we want to go over that later, but really I'm going to focus on what the position statements are from the Academy of Pelvic Health. You know, we have to first establish that it does fall under the realm of physical therapy, that we are able to treat internally for the pelvic floor, vaginally and rectally. So that falls under the scope of practice of a physical therapist, which inherently means it also falls under the scope of a, a physical therapist assistant with the proper training. So for internal work with a PTA, it's important to understand that you need to have a PT that is trained in pelvic health to be able to do pelvic health as a PTA. So um, I've had a couple people ask me that question. Oh, I had a, someone at CSM, that combined sections meeting where I presented my presentation, 
And she said that she had been practicing in public health for decades and had um, a PT that she worked under. And, you know, that PT was well-trained in public health, but that PT left the practice. And then they had two new grads come in who had no experience in pelvic health. And she wanted to still be treating in pelvic health. And I said, you can't do that legally because you are now under their license, which they don't have the training. So you can't be doing this. So, you know, there are some nuances with that. Um, so the key is to make sure that you find a physical therapist that is trained in pelvic health and willing to mentor you and to be your supervising physical therapist. But PTAs are able to perform internal work with appropriate education which also means they need to be verified as competent by that physical therapist. So that's where that comes into play, where if the physical therapist doesn't have the training, they're not going to say that you're competent. They're not going to be able to do that. But it's also important to understand that sometimes patients aren't appropriate for delegation to a PTA in pelvic health. And that is up to the PT to decide that with input from the PTA. Sometimes our PTAs have quite a bit of experience, like I mentioned with that therapist who had two decades worth. So she had a lot of experience. But if someone's just starting out in the field of pelvic health, there are going to be certain diagnoses or conditions that they're not as comfortable with. Um, but, you know, depending on the coursework they're taking, they should be fine with treating pelvic floor muscle weakness, specifically looking at incontinence, urge incontinence, and prolapse. So pelvic organ prolapse. But with that, this really nice give and take that can happen. There are some subtleties with pelvic health that we don't see in other realms or specialties of physical therapy, looking at the psychological history and potential trauma that the patient may have experienced in the past. Those are all very real issues that need to be examined prior to delegating to the PTA, um, understanding trauma-informed care, but that can all be addressed with training. So it's important to have good communication between a PT and PTA and even more so when we're talking pelvic health. You know, it is certainly appropriate for a PTA to treat these conditions um, and even more complex conditions with certain caveats, right? So the PTA might be able to treat those more complex pelvic pain patients or multiple conditions overlying each other um, with proper training and appropriate conversation with the PT to make sure that if they have any questions, they're able to get them answered and to um, be able to address the patient effectively. So I don't know if that kind of is too much information, but hopefully gets the conversation started. No, I don't think it's too much information at all. Um, but I'm also of the opinion you can't have too much information. <laughs> you can't, especially when you're getting into these in-depth podcasts, um, Part of my favorite thing about doing podcasts or listening to them is I enjoy learning through conversation. And I think yeah. a lot of people do too. So I think any amount of moving the needle forward for the PT-PTA relationship and, and being very clear-cut on what those boundaries are and are not, because they do get magnified in pelvic health, right? right. Everything you just talked about is how it should be, whether we're talking basic orthopedic practice, neuro, anything like that. It just kind of, for me, and what you, as you were talking, it just goes under just, a, just more magnification in making Absolutely. sure everything is right because of what you said of the psychological component of mm -hmm. uh, trauma, trauma-induced uh, healthcare, because there's, there's a lot of different layers that yes. may, may not come out in other patient populations. Absolutely. So... 
as and we've outlined the education, we've outlined the relationship in the clinic for the PT and the PTA. Let's talk more specifically about PTAs who are wanting to go down this route into um, pelvic health and how do they get there educationally and what other opportunities do they have through um, APTA and and different things and and where is that going currently? Okay. Um, And so there, just as a disclaimer, there are several methods or or several education companies that address pelvic health. Um, I admit to my bias because I'm a contractor with the Academy of Public Health. And I personally think that our, those courses are top-notch. So um, I'm going to speak specifically about those courses just as a model, but there are more ways to get to this pathway than just that. So that's my disclaimer. And so my knowledge is based on the Academy of Public Health physical therapy courses. The Academy of Public Health has three levels of coursework that comprise their pelvic health series. The first level addresses primarily weakness of the pelvic floor and talks a lot about behavioral interventions, being able to perform that um, initial, that vaginal assessment. And so it is geared towards the physical therapist, but PTAs are able to take that coursework, but after licensure. So um, it's not recommended that they take it as a student. The courses are open to DPT students, but not PTA students. Can we pause right there for a second? Absolutely. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show. Because we, I'm, I'm a DCE for our mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. So we have students that come in, say, I'm very interested in public health. And I think from the sheer amount of time, as we've already outlined earlier in this conversation, there's no time. It has to be post, like, I would love to develop yes. clinical experiences for these students. And, and, and for my opinion, is that we, you've got to go get all the other things. And that has to be post licensure. Yes. Whereas DPT students have more time. Yes. For sure. Your program. So they can have different time and different opportunities. And I think it really comes down to a time factor on this year on information. Agreed. And with that 18 months to two years, PTAs are learning critical thinking skills, whereas that is heavily emphasized early on in the physical therapy programs. So I think they encounter that a little more rapidly, whereas for PTA programs, we're jumping right into all the diagnoses and looking at all the medical conditions that are fairly complex and then developing the critical thinking along the way. Just to clarify, physical therapy students can take pelvic health coursework during their study, 
but it's highly recommended that they have at least one pelvic health course for them to go to a clinical rotation where they're doing any internal work. It is not appropriate for a DPT student to just be trained verbally by their clinical instructor and then start performing internal assessments. They need to understand the why, and they're not going to get that just by a conversation with the clinical instructor. So that is a position statement that's put out by the Academy of Public Health, and I 100% agree with that. PTAs are able to perform internal work with education. And again, it's important to understand what education someone has had, which is why that conversation with the PT is so important so that you can establish what diagnoses the PTA uh, has been trained in and is comfortable with. But kind of back to the, the way the continuing education is structured, the level two coursework focuses on bowel assessment. So doing an internal bowel assessment. And I'm going to use the term evaluation for physical therapists and assessment for physical therapist assistants because they're still able to assess, but they're not interpreting the results like a PT would. So that's kind of the distinction between the two but they're still learning the same skills. It's just a different mindset in approaching the, the internal assessment. Pelvic pain is also addressed in level two um, with a little bit more advanced internal work. And then level three is focusing on special populations and participants can choose pediatrics, neurological, or male emphasis. So there are different course directions that you can go with that education. And you can also take all three of them if you want. Now, physical therapists are able to get a certificate of achievement in pelvic health physical therapy, like I mentioned that I have, but it's only open to PTs. My goal is to have some kind of recognition for PTAs. I've worked with uh, PTAs who did all the work. They did the obstetric uh, work. They did the, the pelvic health work, all of that. And there's no designation that they really obtain from that. And so that's what the advanced proficiency pathway is for, is to recognize PTAs for their advanced education in pelvic health. So that's actually something that I am chairing a, a task force in starting very soon. Uh, we just had a call out for volunteers. So that task force should start within the next few weeks. And we're going to look through and identify what skills are crucial for PTAs to perform to be considered an expert in pelvic health as a PTA. And so it's, it's meant to identify those PTAs who have the hours of expertise because they have taken all the coursework in addition to actually treating patients. So it's the 2,000 hours of patient treatment in pelvic health in addition to the whatever m number of hours we quantify as required for continuing education hours and the skills that are necessary for that designation. And they need to have a mentor of a physical therapist who also needs to have the same training to be able to say, yes, this PTA is competent in performing these specific skills. And then they can apply for that APP designation. So I'm excited for the future. Um, hopefully we will have that ironed out by my goal is June of 2024. So hopefully that will be rolling out um, and that will help identify those PTAs with that advanced education. Because I, I do know some PTs, that, I'm sorry, PTAs that were have been going down that same path. And yep. as we need to further those recognitions, 
um, for a number of reasons, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not only for the therapists themselves, but to be able to concisely communicate that with the public right. or other practitioners. Absolutely. And this is recognized by the American Physical Therapy Association. So you do need to be a member for getting that achievement of, you know, the advanced proficiency pathway of achievement. But then you would be recognized on the APTA's website as having that advanced proficiency designation. So um, it does come with some public recognition, which is great because right now there really isn't that. There is a designation through a specific education company, but that's not recognized by the APTA. The more we can get out in front of the general public and very easily, concisely communicate. Yes. What's going on is going to help further the profession for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And and because I I think, you know, it's not a protected term to say public health, physical therapy and, um, you know, physical therapy is, but not public health. And so anyone can really say they do public health, physical therapy, but the, the consumer needs to be educated on what that means and be able to ask the questions of the provider to understand what kind of education they've had. Because somebody can take a two-hour online course and think that they're able to do public health physical therapy. But you and I both know that that is not accurate. And there is a lot that goes into public health between the internal assessments, external assessments, even just, you know, we can do a lot just um, externally that doesn't even involve the pelvic floor, but we have that in mind as the driver of the dysfunction. So really important for consumers to understand that they need to be asking the appropriate questions, which include how much education have you had, how many hours of training, and do you have any credentialing to support your um, pelvic health claim? So Jennifer, I think we've covered the gamut today from education to uh, post-licensure and uh, education after uh, continuing on as a practitioner. Any closing thoughts on just public health education in general, uh, where we're going or where we need to go? Um, the, just kind of the floor is yours on this topic of, of anything else that we didn't cover that you would like to have a conversation about. So I will say things have changed dramatically since I started in the field of physical therapy, focusing on public health since 2007 when I started. So, you know, I've got over 15 years under my belt and looking at the public perception is really dramatically improved uh, since that time, but we still have a long way to go. And I think you and I both can say that obstetric care postpartum is horrendous and we still need to continue advocating for those people who have birthed babies, that there is so much we can do related to public health related to core, related to stability issues, all of that. So we have a lot of work yet to do, but I think we're moving in the right direction. There's less stigma attached to pelvic health. It's less taboo to talk about the the topics in public, but we still have work to do. So I'm excited to continue to see how we change the landscape here uh, in the realm of physical therapy, focusing on pelvic health. Um, but I do also want to take a moment and kind of advocate for PTAs and how we utilize them in physical therapy practice, because I strongly believe that sometimes we get very narrow focused and think that we can only use PTAs in a specific way. Either we use them and they 
are the patients are only following up with the PT once every five or six visits or every 30 days, or we don't utilize them at all. And I think that is really short-sighted because there's a lot we can do, but it's also helpful to understand that not every PTA wants to do all of the internal work either, and that's okay as well. So I'm just going to describe a few ways that we can use PTAs that are a little outside the box thinking. I think that looking at what aspects that we delegate to PTAs can be important. Again, depending on the PTA's preference, their comfort level, their education and expertise, um, this will vary. But a PTA might see the patient every other visit. Maybe I'm doing the internal work with pelvic health. Maybe I want them to focus on core work with a PTA. Maybe I want to focus on pain neuroscience education with the PTA. And they can work on um, the kinesiophobia that can occur with patients with pelvic pain or even incontinence where they're afraid to move because of either leakage or pain. And the PTA can focus on the cardiovascular aspect or normalizing movement for them, um, focusing on Pilates type exercise, focusing on um, plyometrics. Any of that can be very important to include as part of our plan. We also can think about maybe they, I see them once uh, every two weeks and the PTA is seeing them two or three visits. It's important to just think outside the box and really work in your PTA skill set which sometimes can be very unique. Um, you know, we have students right now who have Pilates background or they have personal training backgrounds. And that really pairs well with physical therapy and their PTA education. So we need to really not exploit, but we really need to use what they know and magnify it. And I think as PTs, we need to have a certain level of humility too. Sometimes we think our doctorate degrees are the end all be all and we know everything. But at the same time, I think we need to recognize PTAs can have some unique experiences and they do focus more on interventions and therapeutic exercise. And we can learn from our PTAs. One of the most rewarding things I experienced was working with an orthopedic PTA who really had no interest in doing pelvic health, but I utilized her and delegated to her for more of those cardiovascular components or the pain neuroscience education. Because while I know that information, she had a really great way of adapting metaphors to that particular patient. And so I would have her focus on that. It also helped the patients go from the stigma of being in my room with closed doors to being out in the main gym where all the other orthopedic patients are. So it made them feel better about coming to physical therapy and help their overall mental health and well-being. So I think we can really utilize our PTAs in a um, really vast variety of ways. And we need to be utilizing them because we can reduce, I, I think it's a travesty that we have these huge wait lists for pelvic health PTs, when really if we incorporated our PTAs, we could get that wait list down and so that it's not four months, it's more like four weeks because we're delegating to our PTAs and utilizing them in the best way and still meets the patient's needs. We also like as PTA, PTs to think that we can draw out our patients and really form that trust and which is so crucial with pelvic health patients. But I would also argue sometimes there's a power differential with a PT having that doctorate degree and being in that position of authority versus a PTA. Sometimes PTAs can really draw out that conversation and make them feel very safe. And they might share things with the PTA that they didn't share with the PT. 
And it's just because of the, the dynamic. And so I want to just say, don't sell our PTA short. And uh, let's just keep an open mind and have these conversations with PTAs and utilize them to the best of their abilities. Absolutely. Allowing our PTAs to practice at the top of their license through their, through their whole scope. And, you know, in an ideal world, having more of a team approach, having, having more of a, a team approach, because if, if, you're all, if you're on the same team, which we should all be on the same team, then we're going we're gonna to push everything forward faster. We're going to be more effective with our patients and treating their needs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for your, your time, your insight, a great conversation to, to push uh, this topic particularly forward, um, along with just general pushing the PT-PTA relationship. Yeah, I'm all about advocating for PTA. So thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Great. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the HET podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and we'll see you next time. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast and let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.